0: (laughs) Take your Bible, 2 Peter, if you would, 2 Peter chapter number 1. I do want to thank uh, Pastor Scott for giving me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I thank you all for being here this morning, um, knowing that he wasn't going to be here. uh, Or maybe you didn't know and now you're stuck, so you're here. Uh, Before we get started this morning in the lesson, I want to make sure that uh, I preface my lesson with a couple things here. Uh, Dealing with teenagers over the last... 20 years of my life. Uh, I have learned things uh, about teenagers, uh, especially uh, junior high, junior hires. Uh, many times they, they, they look at you as if they're listening. Um, they, you perceive they're listening, uh, but the, and they're only catching half of what you're actually saying. Um, this became an issue for me when I was, uh, I, I was just out of college and was teaching our junior high. Uh, I, I was teaching in a junior high out in Massachusetts. And I used an illustration, and I said, I was using the illustration of being pardoned. And I said this, these were my exact words to the class. Being pardoned is if like, well, if I got arrested for something, and I went and someone decided to pardon me, or take my place, or pay the fine, whether it be for stealing or something like that. That's what I said. The next morning, I had a note in my office saying that I had to go to the principal's office. Which, many of you already know, that any note that tells you you got to go to the principal's office is never a good thing, especially when you're a teacher. I walked into my teacher's office, and he said, "Did you tell the kids that you were arrested when you were younger?" <laughs> and I said, "No. Why? Have you been arrested?" I said, "No. Why?" And he hands me a letter from one of the parents of one of my students who had half heard what I said and turned me into the principal for apparently thinking that I had... So I ask you this morning, especially as we go through some, some of the things I'm going to say, make sure that you're listening all the way. Uh, because there's going to be some things that I say that you go, wait, what? What did he just say? Did he really just... Trust me, I, it's, I, I believe in what, what, what I'm going to say, and I believe it's truth, and, uh, and we'll get through that. I want to read through First uh, Peter, chapter number 1, and verse number, I'm sorry, Second Peter, I said it wrong, Second Peter, chapter number 1, verses 1 through 8, we're going to read through it, and then we're going to pray, and then we will see what the Lord has for us this morning. Verse number 1, it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them, whereby are given unto us exceedingly, exceeding great and precious promises, that, we, that, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, do you thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for the opportunity to teach and read from your word and to study. And And Lord, I pray as we get ready to... Open your scriptures, and as we pray, as we get ready to uh, hear what you have for us, God, I pray that our minds would be open. Lord, I pray that our hearts and and actions, uh, Lord, would be directed to you. Lord, if there's anything standing in the way of us receiving your full knowledge and and, and understanding, Lord, I pray that we would remove that. Lord, if there's sin in our life, Lord, I pray that we would confess that and remove it. God, most of all, we want you to be glorified. We want you to, to reign in this moment. And God, I pray as, as services are going on all around the world that, you would, you would, that your name would be lifted up. Lord, I do pray you'd be with Pastor Scott and his family. Is there a way? Lord, give them a wonderful time away and pray that they come back rested and uh, ready to jump back into things. I do thank you for this time. In that name we pray. Amen. When we were down at camp about a month and a half ago, um, I came across Second Peter. It was either in one of the uh, the passages of Scripture that was mentioned. I, I, I can't exactly tell you how I came across this, and and I began to read through Second Peter, and I, I I just was overwhelmed with what is in Second Peter. Uh, we we as a youth group had just finished a a, a study through, uh, through a, through one of the books, and and, and uh, had was I was looking for a new book to study. And as I got into 2 Peter, I began to realize there's some really good stuff here. There's some stuff for us personally. See, 2 Peter is written to believers as a challenge and a guide for dealing with internal battles. Now, I say this as, as a man who was raised by two godly uh, parents, and I'm sure they're watching live streams. So, hi, mom and dad. Uh, and and I, I they love the Lord. My dad served in our local church. He was he was he was uh, he was in uh, uh, Christian service for over 30 years. And we were raised, and you were, and you are raised in certain things. And as you as you come up, in many of our children are raised in the same manner. And many times we, we say things like if in order for in order for you to in order for you to obtain godliness or to, to show that you are godly, you need to go to church. In order to obtain godliness, you need to need to be involved in, in, in activities and, and, and need to be involved in different things. But the reality of that is this. Those activities and those participation does not do anything towards godliness. Right. See, godliness is a deeply personal issue that only you and God can work through. And the beauty of Second Peter is this, that he lays out a path for each of us. I tell the teenagers all the time, whenever you come across a list in the Bible, be very, very attentive to that list because it's not there out of chance. Godliness is something that, in, unfortunately, in our society and in, in, in modern day Christianity is not preached about much. We preach, and I'm not talking about from this, from this pulpit, I'm talking about from Christianity as a whole. Many times it's on, it's, it's, we talk about a lot of surface issues. But never drill down to what is true godliness. In this passage, Peter addresses the internal battle of true godliness. I ask you to consider this today because I I had to consider this when I went through this. I've been reading through this and I've been stuck on the first ten verses of this passage for the last month and a half. And it's just been overwhelming to me. I can tell you. I've come to church, I've sat in the pew, and I can tell you my heart was not right. Me being here is a good habit and one that we should all incorporate in our lives and one that we should promote and one we should teach our children to be a part of. Even if you're not walking with the Lord, come to church, be active in church so that you can be challenged. But that doesn't prove I'm godly. Me teaching behind this pulpit does not prove I'm godly. We teach our, we, we we use, we are, we very carelessly use phrases and 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 adju- and, and, and big things with, with especially with teenagers. You you say things like, follow the Lord with your heart. And that's it. And then a teenager looks at you and says, How? And you sit there and you and, and well, I said it. It was a nice thing to say. Now, I, do I believe that? Absolutely, I believe all of our teenagers, all everybody here, should follow the Lord. With the, but but how do you do that? Well, Second Peter here. Let's walk through this. Peter does a wonderful job here, of walking us through what true godliness is. As we read through the, the passage, I'm going to go verse by verse and just kind of tear into this. But, but, the, but again, all the things that I mentioned are all good things or habits or activities that we should have a part of our lives. They should be a goal of ours. But unfortunately, there are many other false, false religions that have the same goals. So what's the differentiation? What makes us godly? What makes us different? Well, let's read through this, and it starts in, in verse number in, in, in verse number three. It says if the first part, first two verses, just so you know, are, are a salutation. It gives the identifier of who God is or who is who is writing the book, and, and you understand, uh, Peter is writing this to the Christians, and it's and it starts in verse number three. It says this according to according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. And godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And in the middle of that verse it says, Hath given to us all things that pertain unto life. Well, I ask you, what has God given you? What has God given us as a church? Well, here's just a few, just a couple things. Number one, his word. All for, all for us, it, 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 I am all for good Christian study. I am all for good Christian books. I am all for the idea of, of studying, uh, studying something that is parallel to the Bible. But we have seen movements across this, com- this country and around the world where churches put aside the Bible and study a book written by a man. Many times we, we, we hold authors up higher than we do than our own scriptures. We talk about how wonderful a, 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 a book that is, that is written, about, written by man about the Bible is, is something that everybody should read. Well, here's, here's the thing, guys. This is given to us from God. This should be the foundation. This should be the start. Now... Let's go, again, go back to my junior high illustration here. Make sure we're all listening. I did not say that Christian authors are terrible and that you should never read any ch- ch- Christian books. Are we clear? Okay, good. Everybody got that? I, 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 usually with the teenagers, I have to do this eye thing where I make sure everybody's eyes are on me. I didn't, I didn't cast any stones or anything at any Christian authors. What I'm telling you is the improper perspective here of when we elevate someone or something, some book, higher than we do our own Bible. We've seen in the last ten years, we've seen churches change the way they they, they teach, change the way they they act, change uh, the music that they listen, that they they share, uh, their teachings, because they have stopped preaching from this. This is what God has given us. This is what we should be reading. If reading anything of their Bible is wrong, no. Should we use it? Should we use the, 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 the books, books that are written to help us focus on the Bible? Sure. But our desire should be the word. This is what He has given to us. This is the letter that He has given to us. This is, this is ours. Now, unfortunately, in our, in our life, this has become too available. And when something is too available, it loses value, or perceived value. I I love, there's a video I've seen on on Facebook of of, uh, Christians in China getting a a Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen the video, if you haven't seen it, it's an amazing video. And it's in this suitcase, and they unzip the suitcase, and they hand it to them. And these these people are hugging the Bible, somebody hands it to them, they hug it. And it's in the plastic wrapper, and they, 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 they tear the plastic wrapper off, and, and they smell it, and they touch it, and they're, they're holding it as if they're holding the most valuable thing in their life. Because they are. What is our perception of what, his, what he has given to us? The second thing that I, I just want to bring out in, in, in this verse is, what else has he given us? He's given, given us the Holy Spirit why has he given us the Holy Spirit? Well, he's given it to be our teacher, our director, our conviction. Too many times we, we rush away from personal study because it takes time and makes us, and time and effort, and instead of, instead of taking that time and effort, we rush away from that, opting for maybe a, a podcast or a, or, or a lesson that we can listen to. Now, go back to my junior high thing. Did I say that you should never listen to Christian podcasts or sermons on tape? No. But that should not be your substitute for what you, your time with Christ in this. God has given us a Holy Spirit to teach us, to direct us personally. And, he had, and we do utilize those things, the, the external things, to challenge us. But our relationship with God is dependent on our personal walk through the scriptures and our personal challenge to him. God wants us to allow the Holy Spirit to teach. Too many times, and I say this with all carefulness, we elevate speakers, evangelists, or people that we deem as pillars of the faith to direct our thoughts and actions These are just men being used by God. We should give God the praise and give God the direction and dive into his word. God has given us so much in just those two things. I could spend a whole message just on that, on what he has given us. But just those two things alone. But Peter goes on here, and in verse number 4, he says this, whereby are given unto us exceedingly, or exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world of lust. God wants us to use the things that he has given to us to access his power and escape the lust of the world. If you are a Christian here today, and you genuinely believe that you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are blessed beyond measure. Yeah. You are not alone in this world, so stop living your life as if we do. Uh, living it as if we are alone. Living it as if no one cares for us. Living it as if no one has sacrificed for us. When God says here, he says, you, I have given you exceedingly above what you need. This is something that we as Christians sh- so shortchange God on. He has given us so much in this world. When we use the, tool, the tools that Christ has, happen- has given to us, we find out something. So this is kind of our stair step here. You've gone you got through verse number 3, and God identifies, hey, there's, there's some things that I've given you. And we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We've talked about in verse number 4, it talks about that, that he, he is, he's given to us exceedingly. Well, why has he given it to us exceedingly? So that we can conquer the, the lust of the world. It's not us battling it. I just talked with the teenagers this morning about the temptations of Christ. And, and, and you look at how, how Jesus Christ surrendered and how he fought the devil. Do you know how he fought the devil? He fought the devil with scripture. He did not fight it on his own. He, had a, he could have, but he, this is, he showed us the way to defend ourselves against the devil. And what is that? Know your scripture. Use the tools that he has given to us. Well, that's the start of our faith. But then then Peter, through God's direction, goes through this wonderful list to get us ultimately to to verse number six, where it talks about godliness. And if you notice and you start digging into this, you notice that these are all internal things. This is not something that you can fake. This is not something that you can imagine. This is not something that you can just do. This is something you have to take time and walk through this. Well, it talks about in verse number four again, why are we using this to battle? And then in verse number five, it says this, and besides this, giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. Diligence, according to the the dictionary, is this, a careful and persistent work of effort. Are we diligent in our faith and direction with Christ? Are we diligent in our walk? Are we diligent against the sin that is in our life? Are we persistent in our faith? It takes effort to be diligent, it takes honesty to be diligent, it takes time to be diligent. And before you tell me, well, I don't got time, I don't got patience, and I don't, have, I, I don't have any of those things. Okay, let's go back through this and think about this for just one second. Um, if you, and I tell this to the teenagers, and I'm actually going to share it with you as adults, too. There's a thing on your phone. Uh, there's an app usually on your phone, whether it's Android. If you've got a smartphone, if you've uh, you got a dumb phone, you, you're, you're blessed. Um, but you have, you have this app that'll tell you exactly how much time you spend on each of the apps that you use during the day. Now I want you to go there sometime and just see what you spend your time on because you're so busy. Then I want you to step back and actually think about what you actually did the last 24 hours. Did you have any time? Well, you know, I, I just have a lot of things going on in my life. We all do. Now I'm going to hit you with the real real hard stuff. You remember what God did for you? You know, sent His Son, to die on the cross, for you. Paid for your sin with His blood. Had His back ripped open, and horns or not horns thorns put on His head. Nailed to a cross. Remember those things? Now explain to me again why you don't have time. Now, all of a sudden, you step back and you go, "I need to make time." That's being diligent. That's what it's talking about here in Second in Peter. You're taking your steps. Towards godliness. These are the steps towards godliness. You first have to be saved. Then you have to uh, realize the tools that he's given us. Then you have to use those tools. And to, to do what? To be diligent. And then what? Well, what, let's go on here. It says this. And, verse, and it says, And add to your faith, which is your diligence, virtue. Okay? Virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is a behavior according to the dictionary behavior showing high moral standards virtue is a choice it is to be what you believe this is when you do when when you choose right when no one is looking this is when you stand up and you and you live the life that you tell others to live I hate to say this, but in 20 years of working with teenagers, the biggest downfall I have seen for teenagers is their parents. And I hate to say that. A parent will sit there and tell the child to go to church on Sunday, and then throughout the rest of the week will not be in the Word, not live a godly life, not have anything to show as a semblance of any Christian testimony and their child perceives, they see everything. Kids see, ev- they see the stuff you don't want them to see. They hear stuff they don't want you to hear. And this is the thing, they're like little robots, they remember everything, and it's really annoying. My kids remember every, hey dad, remember when you did, I'm like, you know what, that was like 10 years ago. I why would you bring that up now? Well, just want to remember, just want you to remember. Thanks. Appreciate that. Us as parents, what, 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 what has happened? We, we, I've seen it over the years. I've seen parents say one thing and live a life differently away from church. Say something about the, you know, say, tell their kids, demand their kids do, do activities that we talked about but there's not the basis of what it means to be godly in their own home. And then they are shocked when they're 16, the kids are 16, 17, or 18 years old, and they want nothing to do with God. Why would they? They've never seen God even living in their life. They've never seen God living in the home. See, virtue is the thing that everybody sees, regardless of what you say. Virtue is the truth of what you believe. It's your actions. It's your responses. It's your language. It's your body language. It's your attitude. Let me tell you, right now, Christians, we have a, a very difficult time with this. Do we show virtue in our, relation, in our relationship with God, in our online media, our social media? Believe me, there's, there's enough of it to go around and we want to, to fight and we want to, want to do that. But, but we need to make sure, ultimately, that God is shown in what we have. Virtue is a genuine, genuineness that is not put on. Well, what, what else does he say? He goes on here, and he says, uh, it's quite the list so far. Many of us are probably two or three deep. I, I know I was when I, sat, when I was sitting here reading through this. and This is why I've been so convicted about this passage of Scripture. Two or three things in, and I'm like, I am already a train wreck. I can't believe this. I've got to get back in. I've got to get to this. Well, let's go on to the next thing. Let's go on to the next thing here. It says, and to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge is not learning. Knowledge is knowing something that you love. True knowledge of what you have. You know, I've found over the years as I've, as I've gone around, I, I've had different jobs in my life and been able to talk to people. And, and when I find that I talk to people, it doesn't matter if they are the quietest person in the room or the loudest person in the room. Each and every person in this room whether, and in live stream, you have something that you are passionate about. I came across a farmer, uh, I was at a farm show, this was probably 20 years ago. I was at a farm show and this farmer was as quiet as a church mouse. He just sat there, standing there in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a booth for equipment. And I walked over to him and I started to, uh, trying to talk to him. Hey, uh, how are you, how, how are things, and, and where are you from? Uh, about two miles down the road, and I, I mean, he was down south. And I was like, okay, uh, what do you farm? Soybeans, cotton. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really making some headway with this guy. This is, this is something. And, and so then I asked him the miracle question. You ever want to ask somebody the miracle question that's this. What do you do for fun? <laughs> We're at an equipment dealer show. What do you mean, what do I do for fun? And he goes, well, I make Flies. Flies. I'm looking at him, I'm like, fly, like flies? Fly? I'm like, fly. I'm, I'm like, I, now I got to ask. I say, so what, what, what do you, what's flies? And he goes, well, you probably call them lures. And I'm like, lures? Lure, lures. Okay, lures. I go, okay, we're getting past the language barrier here. And, and, and I said, okay, so, and I said, so what do you do? I make my own lures. And I said, really, what do you do there? He goes, well, this is the thing. I like to fly fish, and there's a certain thing, there's a certain element that you got to, there's certain string you got to use. It's just right, and then you you, you take the, the these different items and and you put them in there, whether they're feathers or reflectors, and it depends all on what you. And then he takes out his phone and he shows me this vest that looks like it's a Boy Scout vest, but it's got lures all over it. He's like, this one I made in, in October, I caught a something bass, and and he going on and on and on and on, and I'm like. This is way more information than I ever wanted to know about this, and now it's permanently placed in my brain, and and I have no desire to... I'm not a fisherman! You know what happens? When you love something, you study it, and you know it. See, knowledge here is not teaching knowledge. This is not learning knowledge, although that may be a part of it. This knowledge is true knowledge, meaning that you have a passion to know. This is the idea that you want to understand. This is the idea that you love this book. That's what knowledge is. See, knowledge is not forced. Knowledge is not knowledge is not crammed in. Believe me, there's plenty of subject that I had I had I had learned in, coll- in high school and college that I wanted no knowledge of. But I learned it. I didn't want to know it though. You know what I know? I'm talking to the kids about it this morning. Pastor Sean and I have been we've been coaching basketball for 20 years, so almost almost 15 plus years together. Sean and I talk about a lot of different things. Sean's a big texter if you want to text him. He loves getting text messages, so make sure everybody texts Sean. I can give you his number. He really responds back really quickly. (laughs) I kid. There's one thing that Pastor Sean and I always do throughout the the year. I'll probably get three or four or five emails from him, and I, I send him a few emails. It's on basketball drills basketball presses, press, basketball plays, and some of you are like, I could care less about it. Yeah, I know, I know. It's awesome. You guys should totally be a part of it. I could teach you how to, how to play basketball. I could teach you different zone defenses, uh, man-to-man defense, proper pick and roll techniques, um, how to actually rebound the proper way. Are you going to box in underneath the basket or are you box away from the basket? We can go to a full court press. We can go to all different types. You go to a diamond press or a three court press or a half press. Now, Some of you in here are like, all right, enough with the basketball. I get it. That's not what you love. But if I asked you about your car or something that you do, or some activity that you have, you would be able to open up like a can of worms and it would and you would come out and you would just tell everything you know about that thing. Knowledge. Do we love this book? Do you love to study the book? Do you love to share the book? That's on you. That's on me. That's on our relationship with God. Our deeply personal relationship with God. Verse number number six, it goes on here. And to knowledge, temperance. Temperance is the idea of abstaining. Choosing not to participate. Temperance is making a choice to not participate in certain activities, lifestyles, even though the flesh wants to. Temperance is the idea of consulting with God and the Bible first before making a decision on what it is that you want to bring into your life. Temperance is realizing the flesh may desire it, but place, but, but, but place yourself under God's authority and willingness to allow those things to not exist in your life. Temperance is, is the idea of us asking God first what is it that should be in our life and what should we be abstaining from? If there's anything in this world in the last, in the last few months of, of COVID and being stuck at home, we've all had time to analyze our life and look at what we should be doing. What shouldn't we be doing? Are we too busy? Are we, are, are we involved the way we should be? Do we love the way we love? Should we have these things in our life? The idea of temperance is the idea that you take the knowledge that you have Because again, this is stair steps, the knowledge that you have in Christ, the things that you have learned from this, not your personal opinion, and you say, I want or don't want those things in in my life based on this. Too many times this is backwards. Too many times uh, Christians will take the idea of, I want to live like this, now let me go try to find a verse that supports that. I want to participate in this. Now let me go find and see if I can justify it. That's not the steps to godliness. The steps to godliness are you look to this first, then you move on to temperance, and you decide what it is that, that it is that needs to be in your life. Let's rush on here. And it says in the next thing, into temperance, patience, 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 patience. Everybody's eyes up here? Patience. There's an election coming up. I understand. I understand the world is in chaos. Patience. Patience, you keyboard warriors that want to fight the battle. Patience in the way we react to coworkers. Patience in the way we respond to others. The way you look at patience is this, and this will define it if you come across something, someone, your actions need to dictate godliness. Because you may be the only godly person that person meets in their life. And oh, you may win the battle with your quick response, but you will lose the war. Patience is something that we as as Christians... Me, I struggle with this. Our flesh wants to respond automatically. Our flesh wants to, to, to make ourselves right, make them wrong. Patience is the idea of stepping back and saying, okay, I'm going to, even if it's a personal attack, or what it might, what it might be, the idea that we look back and say, am I going to respond in godliness? Patience is the idea that, that we should desire patience because Jesus Christ was the example of patience. The flesh wants to fight. The devil wants to see us destroyed by our flesh. But Christ is, when we look to Christ and his patience as he dealt with unbelievers, as he dealt with hypocrites, as he dealt with those who who, who wanted to kill him, patience is, is is our next step And then it says here, and to patience, godliness. Godliness is the absence, the absolute absence of self. True godliness is just that, about God, about living for God. There is no pride, there is no self-promotion. It's simple surrender to God, to let him be seen through all of your actions. Again, is this too much to ask for us as Christians? The ones that he sent to, to die, to, for his son uh, to die for on the cross for us. Godliness is something that we, as, as, as we desperately need in this country. It's something that we desperately need in our churches. It's something we desperately need in our, in our household, in our marriages, in our, in our families. And it's very interesting, the next step that goes on here. And it says this, and to godliness... Brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity. You look at godliness and you look at it as these steps go on, it's very internal. It's very personal. It's very intimate. It's very direct. And then you get to the end, and what's it say? Brotherly kindness and charity. Well, those are external. See, when we do things for others, sometimes we do it for the recognition or for a response. Brotherly kindness is the idea that we do it not wanting anything. Wanting that person to be blessed. Wanting to, that person to be uh, to. to to achieve something, to, to get something. Brotherly kindness is charity is not you demanding others to change to meet your comfortability level. Brotherly kindness and charity is, is willingly changing for others. This is us looking out for each other. This is us sharing with each other. This is us, us caring for each other. I know for me personally, Sean mentioned it earlier, I, I have a full-time job. I am out in the world each and every day. Six, six days a week we are attacked and torn down by the world and in many cases inundated almost daily, hourly, minute by minute. The last, place that we should, the last place that this should also happen is in a church. This should be a safe haven. This should be a comfort zone. This should be a blessing to be a part of. And we should be looking out for each other. Kindness and charity is both for the giver and the receiver and is the last step. Now let's, let's rush on here and it, and it says this in verse number 8. and It says, now you get through the entire list and what's it say? It says, for if these things, what things? Well, the things we just talked about. For if these things, if these things be in you, which they should be. All right, This is all of us, every single one of us, not the pastors, not the, not the deacons, not, not evangelists. This should be us, the average day Christian. This should be a part of our life. It says, for if these things be in you and abound, meaning that they grow, that they're moving, that they're always on. It says, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paraphrase that with another verse, and I'm just going to to paraphrase it. By their fruits, ye shall know them. See, if you do these things in our lives, these step-by-step instructions, what automatically happens? You automatically produce fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of, of, of Christ to others. You automatically live the life that God wants us to live. This isn't a catchphrase. This isn't, this isn't a, 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 a good saying. This is instruction from the Lord. And it says here that if, if, we, if we go through these things and we are honest about ourselves and we are honest about our relationship, honest about our godliness, we will neither be barren nor unfruitful. And barren or unfruitful, and the, the idea of producing fruit is, is not for the glory of us, It's for the glory of God. I ask you this morning, is true godliness or godly living occurring in your life? Have you continued on in your faith? Have you walked through these steps? Do we desire true diligence, true virtue, true knowledge, True temperance, true patience, true godliness, true kindness, and charity. These are the only way we will ever, ever be profitable in his sight.